Hello, and thank you for tuning in to this episode of the M2.0 series of Ampule, the Australian Medical Students Association podcast. My name is Liz, and I'll be your host for today's episode. Special guest, Dr. Armando Feigl, or as you may know him, Armando Hasurgan from Armando Hasurgan's Medicine Biology videos. Armando is a successful online educator and doctor who's currently undergoing his basic physician's training. Since 2011, Armando has amassed a cult-like following of over 1.5 million subscribers to his YouTube channel for his unique illustrations that simplify even the most complex of concepts, not to mention his other social media outlets. In this episode, Armando generously sat down with me to discuss his experience as a science communicator, a YouTube sensation, and as a doctor. He provided some incredible practical tips on communicating complex topics, creating educational resources, as well as how to both give and receive feedback effectively. Armando provided insight on how to become, as well as what it's like to be a basic physician trainee. I really enjoyed talking to Armando, and I can't wait to share this episode with you. Before going any further, I would like to acknowledge the traditional custodians of the land on which we reside here, in what is known as Australia, the place of recording. I extend my respects to elders of the Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander people, past, present and emerging, and for acknowledges that the sovereignty of this land has never been ceded, and this land always was and always will be Aboriginal land. I'm only human, can you see? I made, I made a mistake. Please just look me in my face, tell me everything's okay, cause I got it. So thank you all for joining us today. I'm very excited to be talking to Armando Feigl, or better known as Armando Hasurgan from Armando Hasurgan's medical and biology videos, which personally helped me get through my undergrad and some of my preclinical course as well. Thank you very much for joining us today, Armando. Oh, look, I'm glad to be here. Thank you for having me. (laughs) (laughs) So firstly, can you give us a little background into who you are? My name is Armando. I am a basic physician trainee at Prince of Wales Hospital. I um, also have a hobby that is creating medical sort of educational videos, hand-drawn on a variety of topics, ranging from the basics of anatomy and physiology to the more complicated immunology and now sort of tailoring it to physician training more so than not, but trying to keep up with the anatomy and physiology as well. Mm. Uh, So, and that's all on YouTube. Very cool. Not many people know, I mean, when people ask me where I come from or what my background is, I like to uh, tell them to guess, um, but they often often guess wrong. Well, actually they they do guess wrong all the time, Uh, but (laughs) So fun fact is uh, that I'm I'm half Indonesian and I'm half Czech Republic. So my dad is from Czech originally, and my mom is from Indonesia. How did they meet? <laughs> Two very different yeah, parts of the world. So, uh, yeah, it's a wonderful love story. So my dad escaped communism back back then in the late 1980s, and he traveled around Asia. India, Southeast Asia, and he met mum. He he actually met he actually met mum. Ah, uh, what are those places where uh, nuns live? Um, uh, a convent. A convent? Is it a convent? Yeah. Yeah. Convent. No, no, mum, mum. Like my mum wasn't a nun, and she wasn't a nun, but she 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 stayed and 
in that in like a convent sort of uh, area. Oh. Uh, and so dad met her there and, and then they fell in love and, uh, and then that's it. Yeah. Beautiful the rest story. Is history. Yeah. <laughs> now I wanted to talk a little bit about your, your platform that you've created over the last couple of years. What was your motivation for establishing your YouTube channel and your free online education platform? Yeah. So the YouTube channel and the platform I've created, it, it, it all, it all, it was all sort of an accident. It initially started all the way back when I was studying biomedical science at the University of Southern Queensland. Mm. I didn't have any science background. I didn't do science at my final years of high school. I was more of an artsy student, like languages and visual arts and, and that stuff. And so deciding to do biomed, I found it difficult to I guess, you know, I found it boring to read textbooks, <laughs> listen to lectures. And so I relied, yeah, I mean, there's a lot of content. Yeah, so, you know, so I relied on drawing. I relied on drawing and making mind maps. And it was in the first year I had a pharmacology course and we were asked to do a presentation. And in this presentation, I decided to draw the presentation. And, and you know, the topic was a drug. So I did one on a TNF-alpha inhibitor, etanercept. So I created... Uh, recorded myself drawing and then presented it. And I found it such an effective way to learn mm. for me personally, but continue doing it on like immunology and whatnot. And then I decided to upload it on YouTube. Back then, YouTube was, you know, not as popular as it is now, <laughs> but I uploaded it there and people watched it. People left comments, positive comments. And that sort of drove me to make more and upload more. And, um, you know, I realized, wow, you know, I'm learning and I'm uploading it and people find it helpful. That's awesome. And that in itself is the driving force. And when people started subscribing, you know, people started following me, it was sort of the feeling that I had an obligation in a way to create more. But I really love it. I, I, I enjoy drawing. I, 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 you know, it makes me happy that people find it helpful. So that's, that's really the driving force and what keeps me going. Yeah, well, I wanted to talk to you about your your decision to provide your educational resources on a on a free platform just because we know there's so much literature coming out now that it's so important for us to get people into medicine from a diverse background, low socioeconomic and disadvantaged populations to be able to best serve those populations from within the medical community. Are you able to talk to your decision to be able to provide these these resources and this information in such an empowering, altruistic way to these communities? Yeah, I mean, I mean, I don't really have a business sort of mindset to begin with, so uh, mm. I never knew that you know people could make money doing this stuff because I know that there's, as you said, there was you know there are a lot of channels out there, there's a lot of platforms out there that sort of membership based sort of system. Mm. Yeah, subscription. Which, by the way, looks a lot more professional and which it's a fear of missing out. You're like, oh, wow, this must be good because you have to pay for it. <laughs> um, but yeah, I mean, so, no, it's, it's true. Me personally, I, I started it as a hobby. I started it as by accident and, uh, and I just continued to do so, to continue to you know, make content. And re seeing that it's made a big impact around the world, I guess, uh, you know, people use it from different countries. It's a, it's a feel-good effect. Mm -hmm. Like at this stage, I'm doing everything myself, so I don't have to pay anyone. I don't have to really do anything. So, uh, I mean, making it free is obviously the, the most reasonable thing to do. Mm -hmm. 
I think I can understand, however, there's different platforms out there. Uh, there's other channels that require a fee. They obviously work in a bigger team. They have to pay people. They have to get sponsorship and all that stuff. So that's probably why they have to make it a membership fee. But I'm, I'm functioning by myself and I'm, I'm just happy. It, it's still a, a useful resource mm. for others. So it will still continue to be free. <laughs> what was it that drew, drew you to a science undergrad after not having done those subjects before that's a good question so yeah i mean i had no interest in i really had no interest in science at high school <laughs> primary school i really honestly i remembered i remember doing biology and i remembered like photosynthesis and oh yeah oh, like chemistry and yeah. oh, it was just disgusting yeah but you know my dad my dad Weirdly enough, he's he's got a PhD in like chemical physics, like chemistry really? and physics. Or so there was, there was science. Yeah, there was science in my in my family, and my mm. dad's like he's a smart guy. Yeah. Um, but like he never he always tried to like you know give me books on chemistry, like fun facts and stuff. But I never got into it. But I think it was always on the back of my mind. Yeah. And at the same time, mum being Asian, you know, she was. You know, she's always wanted do like you know, doctors and stuff like that. Um, so maybe that was also in the back of my mind. <laughs> yeah. Maybe like there was no forcing. There was literally no forcing. So what happened yeah. was I think finishing high school, I, I had a few gap years and I had a lot of sporting injuries. I played a lot of sport and I saw a lot of physios and I sort of decided to, to do physiotherapy initially. So I had to do a pre-med, uh, like a biomed in order to get prerequisites. Yeah, okay. But I also saw a lot of doctors along the way because of these sporting injuries. And, mm. and I, you know, th those interactions I had with the doctors, good interactions, and I also had bad interactions, but more so good. Mm. And it was those good interactions that, you know, I was like, wow, this is such a great occupation. And it was also bad interactions where I was like, oh, wow, I, I think I want to not be like that and mm. be better. So, yeah, I mean, those were the episodes in my life that sort of made me, uh, led me towards medicine. Yeah, right. So that, that experience of those injuries and the medical model has led you down the field into medicine inadvertently. Yes. Yeah. yeah. Very cool. Coming back to your online education platform, what opportunities has this brought you that you haven't expected? It's been amazing. I um, I remembered uh, when I started uploading these videos on YouTube uh, during my undergrad, people started using it. I noticed the view, the viewership went up, and I also remembered I applied for this scholarship with CSIRO. I think that was towards the end of uh, my biomed degree, and it was also the same year I got into medicine as well. So. I got the scholarship. Mm. They, they wanted me to be part of their team. So I got the scholarship to be a science communicator, creating animations for the gut microbiome. Very cool. Yeah, which is, such, which is a really big thing uh, mm. back then, and it still is now. So I was doing all these videos on the gut microbiome mm. and starch. And, you know, that was such a good experience. And weirdly enough, the guy who I was working for, he was also the head of data visual, visualization analytics in uh, the Garvin Institute of Medical Research. And so after I finished my scholarship, he was like, oh, come with me and join my team here and you can have a casual contract doing animations and science communication for us. And so that led That's me to- That's so cool. <laughs> yeah, and, and it was perfect because I got into Notre Dame University, which is literally next door. Mm. So, you know, I started med school and I also had this casual position with the Garvin Institute. and. It was uh, it was it was great. I, I I learned how to translate 
research published in two animations, sort of visual di diagrams mm. public. And, you know, from that, you know, gaining that experience allowed me to do contract work for other organizations outside of Gavin. So I, I was, had, the, had the pleasure, opportunity to work with Quitline Australia, University of Sydney, the Children's Hospital, and also other institutions abroad, pharmacological sort of companies. But I think the best of all is, you know, I've had the opportunity, you know, I've been invited to do talks and I, and I find that really fun. You know, I, I really enjoy doing talks and mm. not only around Australia, but also abroad, which was, which is really, really awesome. Mm, very cool. So besides this, has, has your platform affected your medical school or early career experience in any way? Yes, I think, I think, yeah, definitely. I think, um, I think positively and negatively. So, so positively because. Mm you know, having this sort of platform and this channel has allowed me to to network very easily. People appreciate what I do, which is really mm. nice. And, you know, they, you know, they, 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 I guess you could say respect the, the area I'm in, like the sort of animation, medical illustration area. Mm. But at the same time, negatively, there is this expectation that I feel or this pressure I feel in that people think I know a lot. Mm. And so I don't want to like, you know, there's these expectations and I feel bad when I don't know the answer to something. Mm. And uh, I feel like people should know that, you know, doing, you know, I, I really enjoy drawing. I really enjoy, you know, learning and I really enjoy teaching. But at the same time, no one knows everything. Mm. And um, I mean, but I guess it's my fault. Maybe I just put a lot on myself, maybe. Um, but overall, it's been definitely positive. Mm. How have you learned to manage those I mean, there's also those self-expectations, but the expectations of others of being, I guess, perfect all the time. Because as a student, you feel that as well, being asked, you know, questions by the consultant on the ward round and not, you always seem to have that exact information fall out of your head at that exact time. How have you gone about managing this to prevent it impacting you burning out or your mental health? Yeah. So I guess first and foremost, I don't tell people that I do this. I don't tell people, hey man, I got a YouTube channel, you know, <laughs> check it out. I I really keep to myself. Mm. I don't I don't like talking about it. And and if it does come up, if the conversation does like does come up, I, I really just only answer bits and pieces. I don't give them the whole shebang. Because I don't really wanna I don't like talking about myself. I don't like talking about, you know, that I've got videos on this and this and this. I guess that's how I prevent it from, from, from people knowing I have it in the first place. Mm. But at the same time, another thing I, tend, I think I tend to do is that I, I'm, I'm quite approachable, I, I think, as a person. Mm. Um, and I don't have that, you know how some, uh, I guess, consultants or bosses out there, they're very intimidating. <laughs> I think I'm the opposite, you know, or like the regs as well. I feel like I'm not very intimidating. I'm quite friendly. and so that that sort of lessens the expectations because they know that you're actually a down-to-earth person and that, you know, you, you know that you don't know everything and that you're quite, you know, you're, 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 you're okay making mistakes. Mm. So, yeah. Because mm. it's such an important part, I think, of even just learning how to be in a hospital or being a doctor is learning the limitations of your own knowledge and when to ask for help to be a safe doctor. Yeah, absolutely. How have you gone about balancing that that desire and that that pressure to be perfect with the necessary self-reflection to understand where your boundaries are oh look i have to admit i i think 
I had to learn about it the hard way a little bit. So coming into coming into internship, I remembered um, obviously I know my boundaries. You know, as an intern, you have these roles. You know, you you have certain roles, and as a resident, you have certain roles, and as a BPT, you have certain roles, or a reg, you have certain mm-hmm. roles. You know, I wouldn't go behind my senior. I would always, you know, play my role, play my position.、Mm. But oftentimes, even during internship, I, you know, I was I was quite overly confident. I think,、mm. and that was a mistake in a way. You know, I should always be open minded and, you know, I guess go into situation confidently, but know your limitations. And I think earlier on in internship, I didn't know my limitations, and I remembered, you know, going to an emergency situation and. I thought I could handle it, but then I got overwhelmed and flustered. And、mm-hmm. um, it was when my registrar arrived that I was like, "Thank God!" And you know, it was realization that wow, you know, you can't do everything by yourself. It's a, it's it's a team environment. You know, there's always someone、mm-hmm. to ask help from. Yeah, absolutely. So yeah, it was a lot. It was a learning、mm-hmm. experience for me. And so from then on, I'm quite, you know, I'm not afraid to ask for help. I'm not afraid to tell people my mistakes and learn from my mistakes. And whatnot.、Mm. It's a learning. It, it's a learning profession.、Mm. I mean, you you continuously learn as as you go. So, yeah, absolutely. The literature is changing so quickly that we can't not keep learning or we fall behind. Yeah, <laughs> absolutely. So, how have you balanced med school and your early medical career with your ongoing content creation? So, med school was、um, fairly easy. So I, I, I mean, going back to biomed when I first started making these videos and this content, it was, it was really, it was very good. I mean, you know, I, you know, I had like classes a few times a week, and I always had free time to create content and huge and videos on certain topics I was studying. So I would tend to create topic, you know,、mm. videos on topics I was studying to help me study. And then going into med school, it was also pretty good because there was always time during med school. To do videos on certain topics, but then again, it was pretty disruptive to my learning at med school because I was going into a lot of detail on certain topics, creating these videos, and I would sort of neglect、mm. certain things as well. But you know, I passed; I was happy. And then going into internship and then residency, it was also pretty good. I mean, I found time; I would find time to create videos. And this time, it was more clinical. You know, it was more About differential diagnosis management, I was more focusing on those topics, and you know I had time. Obviously, some obviously depending on the rotation, sometimes it's hard,、um, but I managed. <laughs> surgical rotation, yeah. <laughs> yes,、so, yeah, surgery was a good example. But like, I mean, now, now this is, I think, this is when I have difficulty doing a basic physicians training. I remember going into this training program, you know, people telling me. You're gonna study a lot. You won't have time to do really anything outside, which you know I thought was a bit of an exaggeration,、mm. and and to a point it is.、Mm. But definitely, you know, you you want to do well when you enter a training program. You don't, you don't want to fall behind, and so I've you know I've struggled to keep up with making videos and content. Not only that, I feel like as I progress through my training. You know the expectation of the video content quality, spelling mistakes. You know it. It should be a lot better because you know now I'm more senior. You know the, you know, my knowledge should be better, and I shouldn't be making many mistakes. So, it's been tough. 
Um, yeah. But luckily, I still find time somehow. Maybe my social, actually, maybe thanks to COVID, you know, I was, <laughs> I don't have a social life. Like I my videos. Uh, but yeah, no, it's, it's, been, it's been okay. I think, I think as the exams come up, it'll be a lot harder. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Um, with BPT and BPT training, what's that been like for you? Oh, BPT training is, in 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 summary, very enjoyable. You you know you learn a lot. Mm-hmm. You learn a lot of things in quite a short period of time. You have a lot of you you know your your responsibility increases. You are the point of contact between a consultant, the boss, as well as your juniors. Mm-hmm. You know, intern and resident. You learn you know you learn skills. You know, delegating tasks, prioritizing things. You learn skills, you know, knowledge on how to manage different things, both acutely and chronic. But what I find beautiful is when you study different topics, you know, you you find relationships to other specialties, and it's sort of all intertwined. It's it's quite it's pretty amazing. So, for example, you know, I'm I'm studying. I'm right currently. I'm studying neurology, mm. neurology, and you know topics on uh, topics from my gastroenterology subjects previously comes up wilson's disease is a gastro issue with excessive copper yeah. and that can cause neurological symptoms so it's like you know it sort of all connects and it's yeah it's pretty cool so i, I find that really <laughs> yeah i'm glad amazing. you drew that line because i was sitting here being like how on earth does gastro and neuro overlap <laughs> <laughs> yeah no it's it's, it's really you know, Fun facts, and yeah. um, but no, BBT has been great. Mm. Make you you make you know you meet people, you make you know long time like like the 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 people I meet and study with now like I'll, I'm sure like we'll be friends for for many years to come. Mm. So it's really nice. Mm. Um, it is challenging though. You do have to put a lot of effort into studying, uh, but other than that, it's all positive. What drew you to BPT in the first place? I feel like there's an ex- this is this is an interview question. I feel like uh, you know why do you want to do BPT? Um, so I'm, I'm not going to answer like an interview, but it's um, why was I drawn into BPT? I think really I, I'm very interested in internal medicine topics for starters. So all those internal medicine, cardiology, pulmonology, gastroenterology, really really interesting, and they're all intertwined. Mm. I like the complexity. I enjoy problem solving and the different issues you have to address, mm-hmm. uh, prioritizing the issues. I enjoy, you know, the progress in research. Uh, so, you know, a lot of specialties, especially oncology, for example, or mm-hmm. even rheumatology, the, you know, the, the new antibody, monoclonal antibodies that target literally everything. Mm-hmm. So, you know, every, you know, they're creating new target this receptor that cytokine this one this one that one mm. you know it's all changing changing it's all evolving it's very interesting mm. um and, and yeah i mean you know it, it also gives you the opportunity to subspecialize like specialize in a certain uh, field that you're really passionate about so it's 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 really good yeah how are you going to choose it sounds like you're excited about everything <laughs> I I am, and it's and it's it is hard because I remember coming into BPT thinking oncology or rheumatology mm. because both contain immunology, which is one of my favorite topics, mm. and all 
also, you know, it's a growing field, as I said, and really interesting cases and interesting presentations. And then, you know, going as I go through these rotations here, I realize, oh man, I like cardiology. You know, it's procedural. It's you know, it's very acute. Mm. Um, I don't know. It's it's. Uh, I I still have my top three there, so I'll um. I'll see how I go. I think it also depends on the the people you meet, you know, and the yeah, opportunities absolutely. that arise. Yeah, the teams that you work with as well. I've definitely been swayed by the teams yeah. that I worked with, <laughs> and I'm just yeah. Like, what What are you? Thinking? I me personally, I have no idea. All I know is what I don't want to do at this point in time, <laughs> and I've been told that if I want a family, BPT is not ideal. <laughs> No, look, no, no, look, I think, no. And I think, you know, whatever you want to do, you can do it. Mm. Even if you want a family, you can do it. Mm. I think you shouldn't talk yourself down. I think, you know, I was thinking about doing part-time BPT, actually. Oh, really? um, which is available in certain Yeah, because, you know, I wanted to do other stuff. Yeah. So, you know, I know a few people that do it and it's, you know, works for them. There's always a way around it. Um, you know, I think it's really, it's great that the medical community is sort of, you know, changing, you know, things for other people to make it more, uh, you know, people who want a family, you know, people want to do other stuff outside of medicine. Mm-hmm. Do you find that there's still stigma around doing part-time specialty training? Um, I think it's a very new, I think it's a very new, you know, thing that's happening. Mm-hmm. Um, I only, I only know a couple of people that are doing it. I don't think so. I think the, the there are, there are a few negative negatives about it in that, you have two weeks on, two weeks off, for example, and you know you have to remember you have you have to learn about the patients again, and then mm. you, you lose know, you that have to continuity. And mm. yeah, you lose that continuity exactly, and that's probably the worst part of it. And the other part of it is that you know your your colleagues progress faster than you, and you have to meet new people, and you'll feel left behind. Mm. But really, and that's the unfortunate part of it. You know, I think when, once you, oh, actually, when you start doing internship it it feels like a rat race yeah. you, know, you know you have to do these publications you have to do this you have to be part of this committee up your cv mm. it's all a rat race which you know it is good in a way because it creates some competition so people you know want to sort of do better but at the same mm. time i think you know it creates a lot of stress mental health issues mm. Yeah, it's. I think it starts a little bit earlier in Victoria because you have the merit-based internship. So there's a lot of CV stacking even in med school and publications. And yeah, it's it's an interesting interesting time <laughs> for sure. Yeah, actually, that's that's no. You're actually, you're absolutely right. Victoria has a different system. I because I did I did uh, my fourth year of medical school in Ballarat, oh, and I you? actually had the opportunity to apply. Yeah. I had the opportunity to apply to the hospitals there, but when I realized that you had to like do CVs, you had to do this and that yeah. and apply, it's, I was like, oh man, I can't. Oh I can't my God, it's exhausting. Yeah, it, it's very competitive. Mm. Very different to New South Wales. Yeah. How did you find Ballarat? I was there last year. Oh, really? Yeah, I did my third year. Oh, I love Ballarat. Yeah. I, was, I, was, I was in a private uh, hospital. Yeah, St. John of God. Yeah, that's that's the one. Notre Dame was uh, associated, uh, affiliated with that hospital, and I think uh, Mel. Who was it? Who was the other? Uh, Deacon in Melbourne are across the road. A uh, Deacon, that's yeah. right. Deacon was um was at Melbourne, where with the public, but it was great. I loved Ballarat. It was bloody cold, but I know <laughs> it's such a nice small place. 
Great cafe, great, great coffee. That's true. The the turret around the corner was always good coffee. The man-made uh, lake that was mm. that was so good. Yeah, it was. And nice the houses around. around there were amazing. <laughs> I know they're pretty incredible. Some of them, yeah, they have their own towers and things. It's quite. Yeah. <laughs> Who lives yeah. there? What What are the consultants? Definitely. Yes. Yeah. Getting back to BPT, do you have any recommendations at all for any budding physicians? Um, yeah, I guess for budding physicians, I do have a few recommendations. I think, you know, you do have to, you know, boost your CV and this could be through a number of ways. I think go, you know, teaching is, is one, is one way. Mm -hmm. Uh, research is probably the most sought after. Um, and this can be anything. This could be, I think publications, but also public speaking, um, Mm. be it presenting at a grand round or whatnot, uh, poster presentations as well. I think also personal development. So that includes doing courses. And I think, I think that's great. I think everyone should do these courses during internship and residency. And this could include, you know, radiology with through Radiopedia, obviously Mm. um, advanced life support is really really useful and very good i highly recommend it and there's and these are and there are these other random ones out there so personal development would be great some i i actually kind of regret not doing this but if you have the money you can do a master's in uh in medicine in clinical medicine through right. i think UCID. yeah okay and i mean it's the reason why i say it's good it's because BPT is overwhelming and saturated with information, but mm. from what I've gathered, this course really simplifies it and provides high yield things for you. So mm. I think you come in very prepared. <laughs> Not sponsored by you, Sid, though. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, yeah, no, yeah. <laughs> I promise I was not sponsored. No, but I heard it's good, and I sort of, oh, I should have, I sort of felt, oh, damn, I should have done that, but. You don't have to, mm. um, and it's 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 useful for for your learning really. Mm. Other than that, I reckon I reckon you know showing you know in your CV showing that you have life outside of medicine is also good. Be it volunteering, playing golf, or I don't know. Do you have any recommendations about how to integrate in that that into your CV? Because I felt very strange writing that for my internship. There was like this weird paragraph afterwards, and I'd like. Right about my dog and the fact that I like to hike and it just kind of felt tokenistic. Do you have any recommendations on how to yeah. incorporate that so it feels more I don't know. Um I forgot what I put it under, but I put it I put it at the very end before my references. Mm. And I I don't know if I put hobbies or like interests, other interests or mm. extracurricular activities. I wasn't sure what I, I, but that's exactly what I did. I just put dot points. Being yeah, like okay. I like to draw, I like cooking. Uh, yeah, it looks, it sounds kind of weird, but believe it or not, during the interviews, some of the, some of the people that actually, uh, interview you will ask you about, oh, so what do you like to cook? Yeah, um, okay. you know, they actually read it. Yeah. Whether it makes a difference or not, I don't know. Yeah. But, yeah. Well, I do remember I was talking to an ophthalmologist and he was telling me about, he was on the interview committee for the college and he was like, look, everyone that applies has very similar experiences, but at the end of the day, we're going to be we're going to be colleagues so i kind of want to get along with you if you're a cool dude that likes to surf i'm probably going to hire you over the other guy that you know 
sits in his room and studies all night just because you're fun to talk to. So it is it is interesting how much those things can play a role in these settings. Yeah, that's actually a very good point. That's actually a very good point. Mm. And I guess the other thing is, the other recommendation is always, you know, smile. And uh, whenever you see these, whenever you see the, well, once you get to the interview, smile, be happy, and try not to be, you know, try not to be yourself. Really. No, no, sorry, sorry. Be yourself. Sorry. Don't try to be yourself. Don't, don't, don't try not to be yourself. Just hide, hide the, See, hide the demon lot. inside and just smile. <laughs> uh, yeah, just don't be yourself. But that's it. I think the key is, you know, you want to be known as someone who's approachable, friendly mm. to everyone and everything. So, yeah. What's something you wish you did more of as a junior doctor? I think um, I think going into medicine, mm-hmm. um, you 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 sort of you start losing, um, you know, you, you start becoming more busy. You start making friends in, uh, within the medical community, and so you're quite an enclosed sort of environment, and I've realized that I've become so busy that I neglect to uh, talk to my family, mm. um, that I, you know, I'm busy, you know, hanging out with friends here, but I don't really see my family much. I don't visit them as, as often as I should. Mm. I'm quite close to my family. So obviously it's really hard now because of the COVID situation. Yeah, absolutely. I think. I think what's really important is, um, I mean, I mean, it, it, it could mean different things to uh, different people. So some people, obviously, friends are very important, and family as well. But I think what I should do, and which I'm sort of, sort of doing more so this year and towards the end of last year, is really make sure I, you know, still talk to my family on a regular basis, weekly, and visit them. Uh, a lot more mm. because you've obviously grown up with them and they've they've made you who you are. Mm. You know, working in the hospital as well, you see people dying, you see fathers, mothers dying, mm-hmm. and um, and you see also your close friends' parents dying, and it sort of makes makes you realize that you know everyone's mortal. People can uh, pass away at any time, mm. and it's and it's important to always have that in the back of your head. Mm. Yeah, absolutely. And I've even found that, I mean, my, my brother's medical and I'm medical, but no one else in my family is. And so when we get together, we're tempted to fall back into those old habits because it is so easy to just start talking about medicine with people that are in the field. And it drives such a wedge between everyone else in the room and us because it's like you're suddenly speaking another language. So it is, it's so important to, to, you know, really step back and and evaluate those connections and reach back out to those people that I mean I'm I'm finally in medical school but I found it it gets harder when you're in the midst of your study and everything else that's going on to to connect to people outside that circle it's so difficult but it's so important to help you keep perspective oh a hundred percent I was just thinking about it I was talking about it with a friend today actually I was talking about how, you know, the friends you make in medical school and even, you know, working in the hospital, whenever you guys hang out, you just talk about medicine. Everything's medicine, mm. medicine, medicine, medicine. And it's, it's just, it gets, it, like, it gets to me. 
And what I found, you know, I'm still in I'm still in contact with a lot of my high school mates, a lot of my mates from undergrad, you know, and it's 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 so good. You know, talk about non-med stuff, talk about life. <laughs> yeah, it, it really is. It really is. Um mm. so yeah, I mean that's another very important thing to do. Um to not forget. Mm. Keep those connections. Yeah. And now a quick word from the M2.0 team. Hey everyone. So to commemorate the convention that never was, Mel 2.0 is dropping exclusive merch on Sunday, August 2nd. We have a limited number of patches and t-shirts, so get in quick when sales open. We're also acknowledging AMS's most seasoned confederates with coveted medals of honour based on the sticker book and eSports Day participation. For more information, head to the AMSA National Convention Facebook page. Thanks, Meg. We'll get back to the episode. What advice would you provide to people early in their career with an interest within alternative education? So when you say alternative education, I, I'm guessing you mean online education? Yeah, I mean, both online education, but you also, I mean, my interpretation of what you do, you present things in an alternative way. So you use a very visual um, mind map style of presenting, which is not your traditional style of education. So it's kind of catering to those people that learn in a different way. So that's also what I mean by alternative education. Online education itself, it's it's getting quite saturated. So back when I started, which was nearly 10 years ago, there was a lot of space. You know, there, were, there weren't that many medical channels on YouTube. So it was, it was, it was a great uh, place to start to create videos, record yourself, teach, uh, make online videos. Mm-hmm. And then social media platforms started popping up and a lot of people started using it more and more. So I'm talking about Facebook, Instagram, Twitter. And these platforms, they're also very good for online medical education, especially Instagram. So for example, Mm -hmm. I follow many channel uh, pages, you know, such as Radiopedia, I think it's called. No, no, oh yeah, Radiopedia is one, but radiology something. But anyway, they they upload photos of radiological stuff and you just learn from it. It's easy. Mm. It's great. Like it's a great... Um, niche area that people can get into. And then Twitter, obviously, people posting recent updates on certain diseases and certain articles. Mm. So online medical education is rapidly changing. Uh, people are trying new things, you know, with all the platforms that are available to try to educate people across the world. I think if you want to get into this area, I mean, if you want to get into it just to share, you know, you you can do the exact same thing that everyone else is doing already, mm. i.e., create a page, upload stuff on radiological diseases or topics or photos, or you can think something different, like, you know, what what is something that someone's not doing and sort of jump on that, jump onto that. Mm. I can't really give any examples, but it's, you know, think outside the box, really. Yeah. And I guess, you know, if you're into drawing and visuals, I think every, you know, I do agree people learn differently. People enjoy learning differently. So I, I like looking at diagrams to revise. I like looking at pictures to understand certain concepts. For example, you know, whenever I like, I like, I don't know about you, but whenever I look at articles, the first thing I look at is their diagrams. So with New England Journal of Medicine, for example, I love looking at the images or mm. stuff that they have. And it's, it's really cool. So that's what I enjoy if if someone's into that stuff i do recommend drawing your own mind map or copying what's already what's already created copying what's already created and changing it you know tailor it add more information make it a bigger diagram add more things and you know you'll find that this is such an effective way to to learn 
Yeah, no, it sounds like there's a lot of niche opportunities out there. You just have to be looking for them. Yeah, definitely. To anyone out there who is, I'm, I'm fairly busy. And to be honest, I'm very bad at replying to emails. <laughs> I apologize. But if you're interested in script writing, if you're interested in writing notes or getting involved in science communication, creating sort of helping creating these videos, I would be more than happy to have more people involved. Um, shoot me an email at armando and then hasudungan at gmail.com. So anyone who's really serious about it, yeah, feel free to message me um, and we can have a chat and go from there. Very cool. Going back to your role as a science communicator, can you tell us what you learned out of that about how to convey complex constructs in a more simple, digestible way? Yeah, so science communication, I think it's a degree now. I'm pretty sure you can do it as a degree or a course. I mean, I didn't, I didn't do it. I just, I mean, I, you know, I, I, I call myself a science communicator, but I guess I could call myself a fake one because I haven't really got a degree. But, you know, I, I have, you know, I've, I've done work around it. So, so what I've learned personally, you know, working with organizations such as Garvin, for example, I guess first and foremost is that mm -hmm. you need to know your target audience, the public, medical people, consultants, bosses, each of these mm -hmm. groups, they, they're interested in you know, certain aspects of whatever you're presenting. Mm -hmm. So, but I mean, focusing on the public is a good one. So, you know, working with, with Garvin, I, you know, I learned that the best approach is to always, I guess, create a structure, but mainly create a storyline and use analogies. Mm. So for example, I remembered creating this video for a recent paper that showed evidence of really a big chromosome that was found in certain sarcomas, mm. mainly liposarcoma, for example. And they found that in these sarcomas that they found this weird giant chromosome which had different DNAs from different chromosomes attached to it, really. Mm. And so the analogy used for this is a Frankenstein chromosome. <laughs> and so, you know, like Frankenstein, like a monster who mm. had, you know, different, you know, arms from someone else, legs from someone else. Mm. It's the same thing. This chromosome was created from different parts of different other different chromosomes. And so conveying that to the public, we would use the story of a Frankenstein chromosome and how it's a monster and it's found in different cancers and it's being researched and it's an amazing thing. So yeah, you know, using stories like that, uh, really, I think it's quite, quite effective. Mm. Yeah, absolutely. But not only for the public, right? I mean, you can, I think it's always effective to also create a storyline or a step-by-step -step progression mm. when uh, presenting something to med students as well. Mm. It's always good to start with the basic foundation, a bit of background, and then building up on that. Mm. Yeah, absolutely. Lay the, lay the groundwork before going to things that are a bit more complex. Yeah, because I mean, one thing I found really quite annoying or I really didn't like was when I would sit in lectures and they start talking about all of this complicated stuff, mm. you know, without any foundation. Yeah. And it's like, wow, what are they talking about? What is, what is this? What is that receptor? Like, what does it do? So, yeah, it's important to always build mm. and start off like, like assume people don't really i i think mm. so is there anything that you're currently trying to learn more about i mean i'm really trying to learn more about hereditary hemorrhagic telangiectasia oh. 
um, and how they cause arterial venous malformations. No, I'm just joking. I'm just <laughs> I'm studying um, I'm studying neurology uh, just because I have to study for the BBT exam. Yeah. Uh, but other than that, I mean, this is already a while ago. But uh, some personal things I'm learning about is like leadership. What makes a good leader? The traits. So I'm talking about you know good communication, good teamwork, encouragement, providing good feedback. Yeah, okay. Because I feel like you know when when you work alongside good leaders, it really drives you to do better. Mm. And I think especially you know as you progress through medicine, you yourself as well. You know your your responsibilities increase. Mm. People you know look up in a way they listen to you and so you do have to develop these skills these traits mm. in order to be able to work in such an environment and yeah i mean it's uh yeah i think i, I find it really interesting mm. um, have you have you undergone any kind of formal learning around leadership or is it more through your personal experiences and the people around you I think it's through my personal experiences. I'm sure there are courses out there, but I think it's something that you really just have to realize and you know learn yourself. And I think the best way to learn these sort of things is to work alongside people who have who you think or who you believe have these traits. And I've come across many people like that through medicine, especially. And you know, it just makes you want to do better. Mm. And to not only do uh, well in your studies, uh, but also, you know, to, to really help people and be a team player. Mm. That being said, though, I do find it really useful when I find a, a negative example, I guess, or if I see someone and I just really pinpoint that's the kind of doctor that I don't want to be. And I know they may be having a bad day or I may not exactly be getting a great representation of who they are as a whole, but I actually find that very useful in helping to guide my own choices as well as those you know those positive role models i agree with you 100 percent, and and that sort of goes back to what i said at the beginning of why i sort of wanted decided to do medicine it was this mm. you know i saw good doctors you know how they approached me and how they explained things to me and how they helped me and then i saw the bad ones which were like maybe they had a bad day but i don't know <laughs> and so you know it's that sort of thing it's like you know oh wow you know this person's amazing this 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 doctor who's 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 been really helpful to me you know that's someone i look up to and i you know i want to be like that i want to have those features i want to learn mm. how to how to be confident i want to learn how to be able to communicate like that it's really cool mm. and i think and i think in medicine you know we, we 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 all are leaders in a way and you know as, as i said as you go through training and whatever you do you know you will have a leadership type role because you will work with other people. You will have to delegate tasks. You will have to communicate things to other people. Mm. Um, and these are all really, really important skills. With with teaching and leadership being such an integral part of, of the medical career as you progress, because some people, you know, naturally are better at teaching and some people aren't. Do you think that this should be more more incorporated into, into medical school to build these skills? Oh, I... I absolutely I think I think it should be part of the foundation of medicine but saying that I feel like it it already exists but people don't realize it mm. so you know when, when I, I guess every each medical school is different but you know uh, in Notre Dame for example we every week people would have to present uh, things on different uh, diseases different topics or whatever and so 
you know, that in itself is already, you know, you are already practicing how to communicate, how to teach others, mm. how to public, you know, do perform public speaking. I think the most important thing, though, is that oftentimes people do this, but they don't really receive feedback properly. Mm. Um, and so they don't really know how to improve or where they went wrong. Because I know, you know, everyone's different, but, you know, when people present, there are some people that present really well. And, in, and are very engaging. And then there's the ones that just talk in detail about every single gene affected in a disease. <laughs> and so obviously you, you, you don't want to crush their soul by saying, oh, you shouldn't talk about that and stuff like that. Mm -hmm. But, you know, I think, I think having, having a teacher or having a person there that could give those feedback, uh, give us that sort of uh, constructive feedback would be great. Mm -hmm. But also receiving it, you know, one has to know how to receive constructive feedback and not take it too hard. Mm -hmm. um, but yeah, I think I think having sort of courses, having stuff about public speaking, uh, leadership, I think having those incorporated, it, it, it already exists, but I think having it properly incorporated, I think would be really cool. Yeah, absolutely. Coming back to the feedback, do you have any recommendations about providing or receiving feedback? Yeah. So I have a, a fun fact about me. Uh, this is another fun fact. <laughs> after, me, after, not after med school, after high school, I had a few gap years and in one of those gap years, I actually taught English to to Japanese students. Oh, there you go. So I was teaching English in Japan for a year. Mm. And these were kids from, I think, th four years old to like 15 years old. Oh, wow. That's a big range. Yeah, yeah. And it was the best experience. And I learned so much. I learned so much from that experience. I was working alongside... You know, people who've who never taught before, but they just went there because, you know, they could speak English and, you know, everyone was learning. Mm. And I remembered I worked alongside, his name was Dominic, and he was sort of the leader of the district. I think he was British. He was really knowledgeable. Like He's been teaching English in Japan for many years, and you can tell because he's just really good at teaching, communicating, everything. Mm. And I remembered him teaching me this model of feedback because every time we taught, there would be, feed, you know, people more senior would give feedback so that we can improve and whatnot mm. and this feedback formula, i would call it is called the sandwich model mm. and so the sandwich model is essentially imagine two slices of bread one on the top one on the bottom and then you have all the let's just say meat in the middle so you go with the slice of bread from the top you would give someone a positive feedback i think you spoke very well you were very clear everyone could hear you and then you go on to the meat which is where you give the negative feedback so you would be like, I think you should have smiled more or whatnot. And then you would end with a positive, which is the other slice of bread down the bottom. Mm. So I think that's a great way to feedback. It's sort of constructive in a way, but you know, you always give something positive, but there's something negative, and you end it on a positive. Mm. I think there's always room for feedback. I don't believe in 10 out of 10. I think there's always room for improvement. Mm. So being open to that improvement would be very useful. Mm. Do you have any recommendations around receiving feedback and how to actively show that you're acknowledging, reflecting, and then trying to act on that feedback? I think one of the problems is when you receive feedback, you kind of, you know, obviously it's, 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 it's very important to be open-minded. Mm. But at the same time, if you receive feedback from someone you don't really like <laughs> or you don't really look up to it's it's sort of awkward mm -hmm. i mean and this is the same thing you know when you're working with a doctor for example that you really you don't really like working with them because they're not really a nice person or they're not a good leader let's just say 
you know, receiving feedback from them, it's like, oh, like, oh, what is this sort of thing? But <laughs> at the same time, you know, I think putting that all aside, I think feedback, any form of feedback is good feedback. Mm. I think thinking about it and reflecting on it is always going to be useful. I think one way I, I approach receiving feedback is I seek feedback. Okay. I, at the end of my term, when I get signed off, I ask how, you know, what can I do better? Mm. And not only that, I mean, you know, you always, even from your friends and whatnot, you can always ask for feedback, ask what do I do differently, being very open-minded. Oftentimes people are scared to ask for feedback because it might look like they're weak, that, you know, that they're not good enough, maybe like they're, they're, they make mistakes. Mm, or not confident in their actions. Yeah, I think, I think it's important to change that sort of mindset, change that culture. There's always mm. room for improvement. Mm, absolutely. Do you recommend flagging early in your rotation that you'd be open to feedback so they watch you a little bit more closely? Yeah, I mean, that's a good... So I think that's what um, that's what the HETI, I think, are uh, are doing in that, you know, there's this midterm form and then there's an end-of-term form. So you should do your midterm form because, you know, uh, the person who, who's in charge of you will sort of see how you're going and then give you feedback. They should. And then they'll mark you, sort of evaluate you at the end of the term. So... But I agree with you. I think going into the term, I think the terms where I found what I found to be most beneficial is when you enter a term and they actually sit you down and they talk about the term with you. So I'm talking about the consultants. They sit with you and they're like, welcome. This is what we expect of you. Mm. These are the things you'll see. These are the things you should learn, you know, and so you sort of get an idea of what you're in for. Mm. And then also you can tell them that. I want to do this, I want to do this, you know, I, mean, I wanted to see consults. And so, you know, having that sort of early rapport is important so that, you know, they know you want to improve, you want to get feedback, you're serious about this. Mm, absolutely. My last question is, our would have been convention and our podcast has a theme of new perspectives. And I was wondering if you could share a perspective or motto that resonates with you and that you try to emulate in your daily life? So when I think of, ah, oh, I meant back to uh, research articles. So um, when, I think, when I think of perspective, I think of perspective uh, articles, and that's really, you know, an idea of thought on a certain topic um, that's, you know, that sort of stimulates, uh, you know, that, 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 that stimulates more questions, more uh, more ideas outside the box, you know, it makes people think. So I guess for me personally, how that emulates in my life, I guess whenever I try to do anything, especially around YouTube or around creating content, I guess I always, I always try to think of something new, something different, something that would capture, I guess, you know, get, you know, get, gain more views, gain more attention. I think it's it's a very useful uh, thing to to do wherever you go, whatever you do. Uh, that's a hard question, but I hope I'm I'm answering this right. Um, <laughs> I wasn't prepared for this. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> I mean, in in general, I think I think I I like to live my life, you know, thinking outside the box, thinking of something different, so seeing things, something about new, keep my mind stimulated, mm. uh, because as you know, the world continues to progress. The world changes, social media changes, so I have to think about all these things and how to incorporate what I currently have and make it live on. Mm. And I guess thinking about doing different things and uh, making it still enticing to other people is, is 
relates to always having that open-mindedness. Mm. Well, beautiful. Thank you so much for your time today. I really appreciate you having a chat with me. Not a problem. Before we finish up, is there anything that you'd like to promote or plug that you're working on at the moment? So I'm not really working on anything at the moment. I think I'm just actually busy uh, studying for the BPT. But, <laughs> um, I mean, some ideas, some ideas I'm working on. I'm working on creating a case-based learning. So I don't know if maybe, maybe some of your listeners uh, are aware of New England Journal of Medicine interactive cases, which is essentially where you click on a case and you go through a story history examination, and it's like multiple choice questions along the way, and it's very visual. You learn things, you learn certain diseases and topics, and it's sort of a continuation of this one single case and its journey and how it evolves. So it's really cool. Okay. Yeah, it's really cool. And so that's some, it's something that I want to create as well, something like that, um, something interactive, visual, mm. uh, and you learn along the way. It's fun, and you can do it as a group. Yeah. But, mm. yeah, we'll, we'll, we'll see. Yeah, cool. And you also have T-shirts as well. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Thank you. Um, yes, I do. Um, so I've created my own shirts. I mean, design the drawings. They're mainly of organs. So different organs from different body systems. Mm. And it's literally a small image on the left and then a bigger one at the back. It's just, you know, I thought I'd create something to see if people like to buy it. So if you're keen yeah, to check it cool. out, you can find it on Strings. Uh, you can yeah. go through my Instagram page at Armando Hasurungan and it should be there on the link. Yeah, Please support. Cool. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. If if a pun one comes out, I will need to buy every single one of the pun shirts because <laughs> uh, the pun. Okay. a pun I, series. Amazing. So that is, I have taken up a very significant portion of your Sunday afternoon and <laughs> I will let you go. But thank you again. I really appreciate your time and sharing this. Thank you so much for having me. It's been a pleasure. Well, that was a bit weird. Might have to keep an eye out for what, what that Morse code means. Thanks for listening to today's episode of the AMSA Ampule M2.0 podcast series. This week's code week is Lap of the Map, which if you go to our website, www.m2020.com.au, insert the code word into our portal, you go into the running to complete our sticker book, as well as the opportunity for some great prizes and giveaways. The M2.0 series is a subset of Ampule, the Australian Medical Students Association's ongoing podcast series, to highlight the speakers that would have been presented at our 2020 AMSA National Convention in Melbourne. If you would like to learn more about our podcast, you can visit our website, www.m2020.com.au, or our parent website, www.amsa.org.au. Or if you prefer, we're on social media as AMSA National Convention on Facebook and Instagram. For more information on the topics covered in this podcast, you can reach out to AMSA Special Interest Groups, AMSA Meded, on Facebook, Instagram, and the AMSA website. The views and opinions expressed in this podcast are those of the speakers and do not definitively represent those of AMSA or their subsidiaries. If you would like to know more about their public policies, please visit our website, www.amsa.org.au, and select Advocacy, followed by Official Policy. 
This episode of Ampule was hosted and edited by Alicia Biziani with special guest Dr. Armando Feigl with music by James Palmier and credit music by Nick Barrett.